Good afternoon, church. My name is Brett. I'm pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Welcome. Glad to have you here. Well, today we're going to do something a little bit different. Our whole service has been truncated so we can have some time to go see the new building. It's been going up pretty quick. Uh, once they get the foundation and all the steel up, things happen fairly fast. So we want to give you an opportunity to see it from the inside, get a vision for what God is about to do. I want to teach you today about what God began with respect to contributions and the first time he asked for something to be donated for a building project. The children of Israel were coming out of Egypt and the Lord wanted there to be a space where he could be primarily worshipped, uh, singularly worshipped, a spot within the nation of Israel, not just in every home, though that should be done. But they wanted the nation to focus on one specific location. And at that place, the priests would perform their priestly duties, representing the people to God. God would appear in ways that he did not in individuals' homes. And it was a, a building that was marked. Uh, you could only do certain things in there and only have certain smells in there and only certain kinds of breads in there. and Other things couldn't appear. So it was a holy place. It was a place set aside for God and God's representatives. But there was a way that God wanted this built. So we're going to look at Exodus chapter 35. The title of the sermon today is Contributions. Contributions. We're going to look at two passages of Scripture. Exodus 35, 4 through 5, and then 20 and 21. And then Exodus 36, 5 and 6. Speaking of Moses, it says... Exodus 35, 4 through 5. Moses spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, verse 5, Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, verse 20. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel departed from Moses' presence, and everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, came and brought the Lord's contribution for the work of the tent of meeting and for all of its services and for the holy garments. Exodus 36, 5 through 6. Now the leaders are speaking back to Moses saying, the people are bringing much more than enough for the construction which the Lord commanded us to perform. Verse 6. So Moses issued a command. A proclamation was circulated throughout all the camps saying, let no man or woman any longer perform work for the contributions of the sanctuary. Thus, the people were restrained from bringing any more. Lord, help us as we study. God said, I want a contribution from the people. And most of the time when we think about contributions, we're thinking about finances. Though that is what is spoken of at the end, meaning that primarily is the goal but the Lord said bring a contribution but he first said let everyone whose heart is willing I'm convinced that God wants us to contribute our heart before we contribute our dollars where's your heart with respect to the kingdom where's your heart with respect to what he is doing in the kingdom if your heart's not there your treasure won't follow Jesus said where your heart is Matthew 6 21 there your treasure will be also. 
So whatever you've got in terms of treasure, your time, your talent, your resources financially, it'll follow your heart. And indeed, whatever your heart is involved in now, your money's following. If your heart is involved in trying to figure out how in the world you can save for your retirement, first and foremost, boy, your money's following. If your heart is involved in trying to make sure you can have the finest car, boy, you save enough for it. Your heart's involved in vacation, you save enough for that. Whatever your heart is involved with, your finances are following. If the kingdom is a priority to you, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and all this other stuff will be added to you. If the kingdom is a priority, that's where your heart will be always. And if your heart is there, your treasure will follow. He said, let everyone whose heart is willing. And what we find here is a, is a response from the people that's so encouraging. It says that everyone whose heart stirred them and whose spirit was willing. First point. Your heart needs to be stirred, not shaken. You, you don't watch Bond movies. Bond had it the other way around for his particular libation. But I'm talking about making sure your heart is not shaken, but stirred. Shaken feels like this when the pastor asks for us to get involved with something with our time, our energy, and our resources. Oh, I don't know. I got a lot, got a lot of bills out there, pastor. Oh, my kids are going to college. I got I got a car note. I got a house note. Oh, God, I, I don't know how in the world. And all of a sudden, fear dominates your decision rather than faith. And God doesn't want our hearts shaken. He wants it stirred. Stirring sounds like this when you hear a call. Something that unifies people, that inspires you to God's purpose. Oh, 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 Pastor, thank you for telling me. If you had not told me, you would have robbed me of the privilege of participation. Amen. But now that you told me, I can give what God gave me. I can do something to participate with what God is doing in the earth and I'm going to be blessed for it even as I bless so that others might enjoy. That's what a heart stirred says. And I can't tell you how many times my heart is stirred. My heart is stirred more than I got resources to give. I get letters all the time from folk who are asking for money. I'm not mad at them. I don't get tired of reading them. I just wish I had enough to give to give to all of them. Everybody realizes grace covenants in the area. And somehow or another they know I'm pastor. So they get my name from the internet. I don't know where they send me stuff. Please give to this. Please give to that. Please. I want to. My heart is stirred. But I've got limited resources. So I have to target my giving. I pray that your heart will become like that. That you are constantly stirred with what God is doing in the earth. So much so that you have to figure out, okay, I have to target. Rather than, oh, I don't know. I can't, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. And then all of a sudden, fear dominates all your decisions because your need seems to be more than your generosity. All the priorities that you have financially are taking precedent over what God says. When your heart is stirred, it's amazing how the Lord begins to inspire new ideas. A heart of fear is always trying to figure out, how can I keep what I got? A heart that's stirred is saying, how can I create more? Lord, you're doing something here. I want to participate. Secondly, you said that, that the spirit had to be moved. 
Everyone whose heart was stirred and whose spirit was moved. Now, heart and spirit are really synonyms in the Old Testament. If you forgot what that means, it means two words sound different, mean basically the same thing. But he wanted to say different parts of our being so that we might understand that all of us need to participate in this process. Heart stirred, spirit moved. Moved and not moored. To moor something means you're trying to keep it in place. And when boats are moored in a lake or a harbor, that means that the currents nor the winds or waves can come and take them away. They're going to be in the same spot where the, where the boatman left them. And that's good because you don't want to be shaken by the circumstances of life, moved away from that which you believe. You want to be foundationally secured and anchored in the veil. You want that word to be the stuff upon which you stand when everything else is saying fall. That's good. But when God says move, it's time to take up your anchor. There's a time when your spirit needs to be moved to action. I realize you've got plans. I realize you have ideas about how life is supposed to go. And you have architected your future in such a way that the building program may have not been in your plans. It came as a curve to you. But I want you to know that God wants you to have a spirit that is moved to action. That simply because it's a a surprise, it doesn't mean it's a surprise to God. He knew we'd be here. He knew you'd be here. And he has orchestrated this time and this place in order to get this done. To have a heart that is stirred and a spirit moved, boy, you'd be hard-pressed not to act. But if your heart is not stirred and your your spirit not moved, you won't have a hard time acting. God wants us to do something special right next door because he is doing something unique with us as a people. And all he wants to do is multiply that. Now, when I say unique, that is not a synonym for better. Other congregations do things better than us. We are not the quintessential anything. We aren't the apex. No, no, no. But we are different. And that we intentionally try to incorporate other ethnicities into our worship. Told God when I came here 31 years ago, I don't want a church that looks like me. I like black folk. But I don't want a church that looks holy like me. I want a congregation that looks more like heaven. Now that is important, but it doesn't make us better. Because when you go to Korea, generally speaking, all they got is Koreans. So they go reach Koreans. Now, whatever demographics they have in the, in the breaking of what different states and cultures mean in Korea, then they need to reach out to those ethnicities, those cultural groups that are distinct. But generally speaking, it's unusual when you find a congregation that is multi-ethnic. Black folk usually reach black folk. White folk reach white folk. Asians reach Asians and Latinos reach Latinos. And every other group reaches people like them because either they live only in those environments or it's the easiest way to go. It's hard to do it like this. Takes a long time to build with quality like this. Black folk in their mind, if not with their mouth saying, where the choir? Now, I know what you got up there are singers and all that. I got that. But where's the choir? Where are the robes? Where's the hooping? 
Okay, we don't do those old hymns with, with Andre and, and, and Shirley and I got that. But at least Kurt Franklin. Give me some trivet, please. I need somebody that lets me know I'm me. Now, your white folk, I just spoke Japanese to you. You don't know what in the world I said. And the white folk is saying, wait, 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 wait. Where is the 91.9? I need me some newsboys. Excuse me. I need me some newsboys. Some, some, some Stephen Curtis Chapman, please. With a spicing of third day. That would help me out a lot if you don't mind. Latinos are saying, can you translate? Can you translate for me? <laughs> Do you understand this is what we deal with on a daily basis? If you just build with black folk, ain't no big deal. You just preach, you do what we normally do, and you go on about life. But we intentionally don't do that. And it doesn't mean that we are catering to other cultures because there's nothing dominant about a particular ethnicity and, and, and culture that makes us us. It just means that whatever we present, it shows that we are sensitive to all. It's not a melting pot. It's a mosaic. Melting pot, you can't tell what was in there when you put it together. All looks the same color, smells the same. But a mosaic gives one picture with different tiles that are different colors. That's who we are. And God wants to build that over there, yet bigger, bigger. Black pastors come to me all the time. They'll have, you know, that fifth Sunday, it happens four times a year, where they don't have to preach. And they get to go be with somebody else. And so they ask their, their, their church asks their pastor to go and find. And so they hear about me. And they come and sit in here. Because they heard that we got some things going on they ain't never seen before. And, and, and they come to me after, can I get lunch with you? I said, sure, no problem. And they ask, how do you have white people? How, how do you have white people? How? Can you give me one? <laughs> yeah, they've asked me, can you send one of your pastors to be on my staff? I said, um, well, no, but, but, but let, 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 me t let me tell you why. Because that doesn't fix it. That's right. That's right. It's not about equal ratios. Definitely not about tokenism. It's about culture. So rather than preaching what I would like to preach like, instead I speak conversationally. Black folk get a lot out of it, but white people hear Tom Brokaw English, <laughs> Peter Jennings English, Brian, Brian, what's his name? Brian, Brian Williams English. They hear that. And, and I'm, I'm geared toward that a little. Mama was an English teacher. She wouldn't let me speak slang. So the times that I begin to intentionally be, be ethnocentric and colloquial in my speech by not ending my words with the proper consonant or speaking like they was or something like that all of that is intentional she if she were here she'd say I need to talk to you after the service she wouldn't let me she was an English teacher she told me boy in order to be accepted you're gonna have to speak twice as well I hated it but she made me we'd have speaking lessons you kidding me that was breakfast I'm not kidding We'd have to recite Phyllis Wheatley poems for breakfast. Now, some of y'all don't know what that is, but that's what we do in my house. 
And I thought, what in the world does this have to do with my life? She was preparing me. She didn't even know what I was going to do. I didn't know what I was going to do. Didn't know what I was going to build. But here we are. We intentionally do some things. We got white folks up here singing black. That just sends people for a trip. They come to me after. That, that girl up there, that, that Tiff, what's her name, T- Tiffany? She's something. She like, she little mixed or something. She, what, what, she little mixed. What, what, what's going on with her? Oh, we're weird people. Intentionally so. Because God wants to produce something through us that's not better, just unique. And it's going to provide for a cross-section of our humanity in this community. If your heart is stirred, your spirit is moved, boy, it's going to happen wonderfully. And then lastly, when, you're, when your heart is stirred and your spirit is moved, all of a sudden provision comes. It's seen and not sought. The people responded with such joy and, and with such provision, giving their stuff. Then Moses had to say this. Stop. I beg you, one of the greatest gifts you could ever give me is the privilege of saying that to you. Don't give no more. We got too much. Let, 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 let me say that just one time in my ministry life, please. Let me say that just one time in my ministry life. Don't give any more. We got too much. That's what they had to tell the people. Stop giving. We got more than we needed here. Don't do anything else. Keep what you got. We aren't there, but I believe in God that this congregation is going to give me the privilege of having to say stop. The Lord wants to do something marvelous by letting provision be seen and having a testimony go out from this people that our God provides for his needs, not just ours. This is a building for the people who are yet here. Somebody six years ago, seven years ago, paid for this, gave money to this. You weren't here, but they knew you were coming. And they had to say, we got to provide for them. They aren't here yet, but they're going to walk through a door. Who you be providing for over there? How will God inspire you to help somebody else? whose life needs to be changed, whose marriage needs to be fixed, whose kids need to be helped. I beg you, help us there.